Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Literally, I was looking. It's been months and months and months. Months. I mean, a whole lifetime has passed by in this interim. Oh, my God. So many things have happened. So many things. Not the least of which is that the government is finally acknowledging UFOs. Oh, well, that, I mean, that's like the only bright spot in what I would consider really late stage dystopic capitalism stuff. So I was trying to watch the NASA conference oh, about yeah. it. First of all, I mean, they need they need a producer to get in there and liven things up because if you want people to care about what's happening, you got it's like the C-SPAN problem. And honestly, they really didn't say anything. They were like, "No, we're these are things that we cannot account for." But I thought it was going to be like yeah, we made contact and here's our... Oh, no, no. Listen, listen. I think they're going to keep everything secret until those green fuckers are in our living rooms, like, possessing our minds. Then they're going to be like, actually, we have a little problem area. Yeah, you know? and I feel like maybe they have to do that because they're so, the amount of crazy people in the discourse ruins the whole thing like you don't know what to take seriously and what not to well that is the truth for everything it's like listen when these sort of people the the outliers become uh so much like the outliers aren't that outlier anymore that's when you get a real infiltration of like fucking kook mania in the in the world so listen we're headed more and more towards where the kooks who are, see, the thing, the problem is with everything, and, and we've talked about gray areas before, it's like, listen, there's a bit of truth in all the kook, most of it. I mean, like, some of it is like, okay, a chupacabra came out of your asshole. I'm not quite sure. Although, yeah, I, I'm just, but, but, but yeah. So the kooks have a point, you know what I mean? Like, that is like sort of the essence of. Yeah, and then when you think about, histories, kooks, I mean, Copernicus, we have a lot of really valid points coming from kooks. It's just hard to know who's the real deal. I know. So that's again, where we go back to like, oh, speaking of which, like my Dr. Altman, who I can say his name, he was my therapist, my mentor, and you've said it like a million times. Yeah, yeah. But I'm now going to say that like, okay, so I love him. I credit him with a huge part of my growth and my life saving, like um, helping me to reparent myself, right? Okay, so then I, you know, every once in a while, because he's old as fuck, I look him up to make sure he's not dead or see if he is dead, because he will die. I mean, that's just going to happen. Okay, and then I found he's embroiled in this crazy lawsuit where he went to go work for the airlines. Um, he he was the airline's chief doctor to dis- determine whether or not people were doing recovery enough as addicts to fly again. 
So, like, alcoholic pilots and drug addict pilots who were busted would then have to go see him. He would evaluate them. Well, he got embroiled in this crazy thing, and people hate him, and then he just retired. Yeah, and I I mean, I know, but I think he's kind of, he got old and kooky, but also he was really, like, um, right. Like, he was old school in that he was like, no, you're an, you're an addict. You shouldn't be flying an airplane until you've really, like, surrendered to the fact that you're an addict. And then, and people don't want to do that. Also, he could have been kooky. I don't know. But all I know is that he helped me very much. And that's the And truth. it doesn't really matter. I mean, honestly, like, you could kill yourself trying to figure out, like, what, you know, follow the line. Actually, I just watched or read this really interesting book called um, Monsters, and it's about one person's uh, exploration of separating the art from the artist. So it's about Woody Allen and Bill Cosby and... Um, Roman Polanski. And Roman Pol- Actually, and- that's what it's first about, because she wrote a whole book about Roman Polanski, which I have not read. Um, but this was a really interesting book. And yeah, I mean, you sure, it's noble to go down the the line and say, well, this led to this and this. But but you're going to find that everybody is really horrible at some, in Dude. some way or another. So. Well, I think like one of the the first names we thought of maybe like we floated for this podcast or that we've talked about is everyone is problematic. Yes. Everyone is problematic. And so one time it's interesting, like I am going to get a tattoo of Don Knotts as Barney Fife because he's like my comedy hero. Oh, I didn't know that um, about you. Yeah. I'm going to get Don Knotts and then, um, maybe Doris, but anyway, Don Knotts for sure. But specifically as Barney Fife, not, Don Knotts as Mr. Roper or whatever the fuck, Mr. Farley, whatever. He played one of them, right? So, um, but anyway, the point is I posted about this online that, like, he was my comedy hero. And I said, I'm sure he's done some really problematic things. But, like, and this woman wrote, like, how can you say that? How do you know he did problematic things? He's never. And I said, listen, lady, he was a white dude living through. A, a, yes, he's done problematic things. I don't know what they are, but I have too. So all I'm saying is I'm accounting for the fact that I was, I'm going to have a super imperfect person tattooed on my on body. On a super guess what? imperfect person. <laughs> well, also. I have both my parents who were very problematic tattooed my mom's face and my dad's name tattooed on my so like yeah I get it po buddy's perfect as they say um what specifically do you love about Barney Fife so the thing is I've read the the Don Knotts um biography too Miles and I read it because I'm obsessed and so um what I love about him in that role is and the show is so problematic, you know, obviously. Um, there's, like, no people of color. It's an awful situation. However, and Wait, time that out, time sense. out. There's some, yeah. Something is moving on your, it's like, it sounds like a cord moving. It's making a oh. creaking sound. Is that any better? Yeah, I don't hear it at all now. Okay. Oh, great. It, it was, I think my leg was hitting something. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Okay. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Tell me if you hear it again. No, it's oh, great because we don't want it creaking because Gina's the one that edits the shit out of these. So that's going to drive her insane. Okay. So, all right. So Don Knotts as Barney Fife, 
is a study in someone who takes anxieties, and he's talked about this as his acting process. So, like, he also has this famous character, the nervous weatherman. Okay, <laughs> look it up if you haven't. So, what happened was Don Knotts had stage fright at some point, or a version of it, whatever you want to call it, when he was on stage doing live shows, because he did a lot of, like, shows, like, uh, variety shows and the like that were popular at the time when he was, when he was uh, an actor. Okay, starting out before he became a star star. And he got nervous and he developed these, he was like, okay, well, like, he discovered that if he really leaned into the nervousness, he developed these tics as a nervous weatherman or in some of those you can see in Barney Fife where it is like he uses that energy to create the character and it becomes pure comedy gold. So on two levels, I like it. I like it. I just think it's a, a great character, but also I think it's a great exploration of what an actor, uh, a performer does when they're really nervous to compensate and to take those, take our, our nerves and our terrible feelings and turn them into like comedy gold. And so I'm just so inspired by that. And also he's just fucking funny on that show. You're like, he's such a tool in so many ways, but he's also like so kind. So lovable. Yes. Yeah. He did the thing that Steve Carell did, you know, which is like, if the character is just a boob, then it's there's nobody, there's nothing to root for. But he was so kind and sweet and he had such a good heart. And as a result, I remember, I mean, I, I, I did watch that show when I was a kid. I don't really remember under what circumstances, but, um, that I, Probably under duress by your father. Probably. And I do just actually know that was not one that my dad watched. But I just do remember oh, feeling okay. like he seemed like such a safe person, which was oh, yeah. important to me at that age. You know, like it's anybody safe, who's safe. And nothing, there's nothing um, nefarious about Barney Fife. There's, he's so earnest. And he is embarrassed really easily, which I fucking love like so you have Andy Griffith never embarrassed like macho man really you know white dude like owning the world or whatever but Barney Fife is so the great foil and the great um contrast to that and that he's so vulnerably like weird and awkward and he plays up so he knows that his body is skinny and weird so he he's he plays it up by putting his pants like up really high and like yeah. being as gawky and his blood pressure is always too low because he's too skinny and he plays Santa and then he has to wear, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. So he's like one of my heroes. So, but he, I'm sure was a problematic dude because guess what? Everybody is. They all well, you're kind of talking me into getting a Barney Fife tattoo. He, I, I, right. I, 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 this is a person I haven't thought about. Certainly a character, but an actor that I haven't thought about. He's, oh, Gina, he's think one, about him. He's He's one of the people who... When did he die, by the way? I think he died in the 90s, okay. I'm not sure. Well, speaking of problematic people, I've just been on a Quentin Tarantino, you know, oh. parade just watching. After I read this book, Monsters, I was like, okay, cool. So I can watch all the movies. That oh, my God. I'm sorry. He died February 24th of 2006. Oh, wow. He loved lived- lung cancer. Okay. Lung cancer. Okay. He lived a long time, well, 24 to 2006. Yeah, that is a long time. He had a good life. Well, I one thing I really respect about Quentin Tarantino is the way he brought back these actors that are from his childhood. I mean, he did... Uh, uh, he he has the most... He did what we, were, what we did with Kiki, which is that he took 
all of his childhood memories. And he thread them through this series of films that he made. I was just rewatching Django Unchained. I forgot that one of the characters is named Von Shaft. And so it's the, it's the, pred- it's the ancestor of Shaft, which I had totally forgotten about. I mean, I love the Brilliant. universe Brilliant. That, he's, that he built, right? right. And Christoph yeah, Waltz and is was, amazing. Oh, Christoph Waltz. I mean, that guy. Um, uh, what I'm really excited by also speaking of kiki is that you know people still ask me about kiki i'm like uh someone needs to make it and so maybe after the strike you never know we'll try again i I just feel like everything is gonna so much has gone on gina so much much. we only have 10 minutes before our lady comes before we'll we'll have to do it again well tell us where do you stand with your job situation Oh, well, I, I, I have like, yeah. Okay. So the job situation, oh, it's nil. Like I have no job still. Like that has not changed. However, I've had some really interesting interviews. I've had some, oh, I have to say like a shout out to the podcast that, um, so, uh, who was it? Skylar? Is that his name? Skylar, right? Skylar Thomas? Skylar. Skylar. Sorry. Don't kill me, Skylar. He's not. He's a God-fearing man. Siler, Siler. Siler. You're like, bitch. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry, Siler. It's just... He is a very forgiving person. Yeah. He'll be fine with it. So Siler introduced me to someone, and I think I I have a possible job with that human being um, doing some diversity and inclusion work. Um, So that's great. Um, However, I still have no job. I booked... Since we talked, I booked another national commercial. Um, yeah, a Spanish one. Um, it's a you don't hear me really at the end. You hear me say something about ropa vieja or eat more or something maybe in Spanish. But um, so I booked that. But I, in terms of a job, I've had many interviews. Um, I have, I've had two first rounds this past week to do communications work because, um, as we know, the writers are on strike. I am not WGA, so and neither are you. So that doesn't affect me in that way. Although it does because now I'm just writing. I'm writing like a mad woman. Um, in and then, but the actors are probably going to go on strike this month in June coming up. And then the directors are probably going to go on a strike. So my feeling is that nothing will happen until the new year, um, which is really awful in some ways, but also what can we do about it? So basically I'm okay. Um, I'm, we're surviving. We've had some real ups and downs over here. We've had weird lawyer shit. We hired a lawyer to sue a crook, and the lawyer turned out to be a crook. I know everybody in podcast land is like, no shit. <laughs> like, dude, it was a first for me, and so we're, we're I, I really feel, Gina, that I am in cleanup mode for a lot of things, and as hard as it is, I gotta tell you, I'd much rather be in cleanup mode than, than either in denial mode or... Or storm mode. I don't feel like I'm in the storm. So like, right? Like Miles' work will say, there's the form. You form. So we formed already. Anything forms. Then you're in the storm. Then you find your norms. And then you perform. And then you, and this is the one that I'm always like, they got to come up with a better word. Adjourn. Which is adjourn. So let's not be, uh, yeah, right? Uh, a, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bridge and then you are. What about, well, then you are born. Or, then you are reborn, or then you are. Um, then you're. Yeah. Then you're Mormon. No, that doesn't work either. <laughs> um, well, that's a well, whole other journey. Well, I, you know, I, as always, the what is for you will not go by you, and it's just a matter of time until you get the right position for yourself. Um, I am in that 
age-old situation where there is so much that has gone on in my life, most of it involving my children. And I keep revisiting this thing about, like, their stories. and Because it's not only their stories, of course, it's my story. But, you know, at this at these tender ages, if you know me personally, feel free to call me or message me. I'll t- uh, be happy to tell you. But, um, yeah, stories about my kids who are going through lots of knocks in life, but who are trending upwards, learning and growing. And, and you mentioned denial earlier. And that's been, I mean, I'll never stop learning about denial. It is the, it is the biggest unwrapping, unfolding gift slash curse for me. Like every time I think, but I'm not in denial about this. I am in denial about that. Like I, so my, my thing has been, I just want to approach everything with the clearest possible vision. And it's amazing how many things I'm just so hardwired to look the other way. That I don't even know inside of my own self I am looking the other way. It's so automatic and it's so intrinsic to me. And and I've had several moments of, you know, people, people in my family saying to me, Gina, you're in denial. Like this, because what I'll do, my classic thing is like, it's a problem, but it's not a big problem. Oh, right. It's a problem, but it's, but... It's, it's, you know, but it's going to get better. Um, Right. You know, and sometimes problems do get better. So it's not that it's wrong to ever think that. But my, my, that's my thing in life. That's my bete noir, I guess is the term. Oh, that's a good, that's a good term. What does that mean? Well, now that I say it, I'm doubting it. But I, I, I think it means like. Best darkness is noir night or night. You know what? Actually, bet noir is more like a pet peeve. That's the wrong term. It's my cross to bear. It's my axe to grind. Whatever you want to say. It's one of those applicable expressions. It's the thing that I have contended with my whole entire life. And I just know that I'll always be contending with it. And that was the piece I got about it. Like, okay, so that's it. You're just, you're built on a foundation of denial. You'll never totally get out of it. Embrace it. Learn what you can. Change what you can. And stop you know, wearing a hair shirt about the things that you, you you've missed the the things that I've yeah. been denying in the past and I've missed. So. Yeah, and I also think that like, like you said, something really stuck out what you just said, which was right that we part of the deal with denial, which is why you need to get outside help, is that sometimes I don't even know I'm in denial. At all. I think I'm wide awake. I'm walking through life looking at things. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and, and I've done that particularly with my health and particularly with how much I have relied on other folks to give me a sense of foundation and grounding um, to to how, how much I really, at any first chance, will abandon myself for the sake of looking for someone else to take care of me or to make it okay or to even just tell me and in therapy yesterday I discovered that like to tell me I'm okay like it's great on a plane because I always talk about planes if I'm sitting next to someone who loves to fly and who's like lady we've got this but the minute they get afraid if something goes out of their wheelhouse and triggers them then I'm like 
oh no, my whole foundation is rocked because my rock, this person who I don't know, who basically has just said everything's going to be okay, apropos of nothing, they don't know that. They're afraid now or some, they get triggered. It's over for me. So then I had to realize, oh no, in therapy I said, yeah, the only real way, the only mantra that works for me at, right now, the only one is I will no longer abandon myself no yes. matter what happens. There you go. I love that Today on the podcast, we are talking to Lennon Parham. You know Lennon. She's a hilarious actor. She's also a writer, director. She's currently directing episodes of the television show Somebody Somewhere. She's an Upright Citizens Brigade alum, a performer, and a teacher. She was also a teacher in a previous life for the Teach for America program. She taught French. She's an interesting person with a really interesting history. And uh, she went to the University of Evansville for theater. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation with Lennon Parham. We start by saying congratulations, Lennon Parham. You survived theater school. Thank you, thank you. Barely yes. the skin of my teeth. That's really? what everybody really says. Everybody, says. everybody says that, except for like two people who are like, "I loved it. It was my favorite time." And I'm like, "Oh, that's I did love it. That is true. I loved it. Loved every I'm second." I'm so of happy it. to hear that. How does a person from Georgia end up at school in Indiana? Indiana. It was via my thespian conference. <laughs> oh, do heard tell. Of thespians, right? So yes. yeah, thespian. Okay, so I was really super involved in theater in high school. Also was in my marching band, not to brag. Um, so just juggled it all. Also held high positions in the United Methodist Church. Just oh, big, hey. Big deal all over. That's a whole know, other podcast. Atlanta yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I survived meth ch- uh, youth group or whatever. Um, yeah, so the my senior year thespian conference in Georgia and like all of these theater kids come together and you do competitions of like one act plays and people are doing monologues for competitions, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So um, we ended, I ended up doing my, my whatever, my monologue and song I think it was just a monologue for a group of like recruiters you know from schools all over and I met a gentleman um who was recruiting and he invited me to come visit the University of Evansville in southern Indiana which is a really great liberal arts theater school I know this well I'm from because I'm from Evanston and a lot of the folks in in Illinois and a lot of folks went to that's a great Anyway, I wish I had gone. Every time we talk to someone, I'm like, I wish I had gone there. But anyway, keep going, keep going. So you went and visited. And what did you think, Lennon? Um, well, the trip itself was kind of a shit show. It uh, it was called like Maniac Weekend or something. And they bust kids in from all over the country. Evansville did do a, like a really good job of recruiting outside of Indiana, which I think, I mean, there were kids in my department from all over like just uh, it was very it was I mean 
it wasn't that diverse, but it was like geographically diverse, not necessarily. but maniac, they called it mania. Yeah, it was like a mania weekend, maniac. I can't remember why. And um, the Slightly deal was- Slightly problematic. They would not call it that now. Right. And right. got hosted by like uh, a student in the theater department. So I slept on the floor of a young woman's uh, dorm room. I guess she was like a sophomore or something. She did not really want me there. I'm not sure. Did she volunteer? it, if she was tasked with like helping me like navigate the place or whatever, she failed that miserably, but maybe she was drunk and on pills. Like I would have been, I'm just saying it could have been (laughs) anyway. I don't think so. I, she was pretty straight and narrow, but she just like it, the, the feeling was like, I just have stuff to do. And you're like, you know, it was just, I was not part of she, it was giving plan. it was giving I'm an adult you're a baby child there's a raft there's an ocean 100%. between us right yeah yeah and uh I think she was in the theater management department so does oh, that make sense yeah, oh like, that makes sense she's gonna yeah, manage so, you right the fuck out of there yeah so it wasn't a great experience as far as that but I did see a production of season's greetings which uh was the best theater I had ever seen in my life up until that point in my humble baby opinion. And, and had I mean, you I, seen I, theater like grew up seeing theater? Yeah, I mean I lived Atlanta, so the suburbs of Atlanta. So I saw a lot of the stuff at the Alliance. I did like a summer theater program there. I saw all the shows that toured at the Fox Theater, like all the national touring shows of Les Mis and um what else uh a uh, hair and you know etc phantom of the opera you know the, the classics and always um, musicals right that's always what they want to bring to everybody is musicals yeah some yes. people think that that's all the theater there is is musicals yes. and we did theater and plays at my high school and I had studied it in some you know in in some former fashion and I just was into it anyway um I was like, you know what, this may be a hellhole for four years. I may be really unhappy, but I have to come here because I, I have to know how to do that. I want to be that good. And so I just was like, I'm going to do it. And I was on the bus with a guy who, who ended up going there as well. He was from Georgia, this guy, Preston Dykes, who became a friend and um, was at school with me. Now he works for NASA. <laughs> oh, no, no big deal. You know, he yeah. really... That's funny. We were just um, talking about NASA. That always yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how I found so, myself there. Um, did you, when you, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm just like, I'm gonna fan lady out a little bit because I just love, so I'm obsessed with the idea of people that, um, are now, um, uh, women, especially directing as well as, yeah. okay. So we'll get there. Just know that that's waiting in my wings is like, cause whenever I'm on set as an actor and there's a woman director, I get a little yeah. crazy and people are like simmer down Bosworth. But, <laughs> but anyway, we'll get there. What I'm going to ask you is when you showed up in Indiana and you're yeah. like day one and yeah. you're like, they're like, this is a movement class or this is a, what were your yeah. initial, we always ask people, you walk in and you're like, oh, this is blank. What is it? What yeah. was the word for you? Good question. I, I don't remember day one. I I mean, it was so the whole thing was so foreign 
you know, I'm living far away from home. I have a roommate, like my first roommate ended up being one of my lifelong friends, uh, Heather, she and I are like, still see each other all the time. And, um, you know, a deep love formed immediately. Um, and you're, you know, you're just like inundated, you're just there with all of these young people and you all want the same thing. And you were all the, you know, top tier, whatever in your high school or wherever you came from. It just, it's so thrilling. It's so, I was so excited to be there. Um, I don't remember like what my early classes were like. We had, I'm sure we had auditions pretty quickly for, uh, we, there were, there were like, there were like audition practices. So there were things called departmentals where you practiced auditioning, but there were also general oh, what auditions. what a great idea. We should have were, had that. Which were for, <laughs> so there was no stakes except that you were getting judged on, on your auditioning. Right. Um, yeah. And then there were general auditions where they would cast the season from those. So what kind of casting did you have? Because we talk a lot about this. Like, what were you, what were you, what were the roles that you, people saw you as and how did you feel about it? Um, I, so I, you know, I was cast pretty, I was, I was cast as like the special one or (laughs) Or, you know, the one who's like a little off, you know, the one who's just like a little off and they don't say why. Yeah, I, we did like dancing at Luna Sun. I played Rose. We did um, Look Homeward Angel. And I was like the the, like spinster who's like longing for someone. We did the diviners. Those are, they all kind of have like a toe in the like. I don't know in the not the occult but like, but it's like it's it's a little there's bit some like, magic to it yeah you were one of those actors in the, at that age was that was probably like um what i described at least to my students as what like yeah okay uh, like we're a, a little, character actor yeah. isn't that what we call i mean right yeah. you, in theater school if you're not an ingenue uh, you're a character actor. That's it. Yeah. There's only those two choices. And, you know, I, it took me 20 years to realize, oh, that's what you want to be. You want to be the character actor. Well, also, right. I interesting. Think at theater school, too, like if you're not so like I, I would say that there's three categories. I would say it's the ingenues, the character actors, and then there's like people they don't know what to do with. So they played elderly people. And that would be like oh, me, yeah. you know. So but yeah. I, I love a little my my jam is people that are like, oh, I understand what this. No, I don't. They're a little bit oh and it's so interesting okay so you got yeah. those roles and were you happy being the the sort of um slightly quirky in spanish it's tuerta which is a little so uh-huh. how did you feel yeah yeah i i think i liked it i got like i got a i was also an old lady in the diviners um yeah i mean you know you i think you kind of always want like i always wanted to be whatever the lead role was but that just that wasn't they don't make they didn't make plays about (laughs) the the character actresses you know like there's a different yeah i wasn't in the seagull but the the thing that was so good about it for me was that i you worked like you just lived breathed theater and and in all capacities. So I, I did my work study in the costume department. I had um, several semesters in the scene, you know, the scene building department. Um, I didn't do lighting. I did, 
like uh, I did hair and makeup, like I was the head of wigs for top girls. And I, you know, like, yeah. Um, you did all the same shows, uh, honestly, like we, it must have just been the thing of that time, because I think I think 90s. you're exactly our age. Um, we graduated in 97. Yeah, 98. I graduated. So yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was I kind of got like a taste of it all, you know, which and and also grew to appreciate. And also that's just like my jam is like learning how to do all that. And and like I loved my like rendering class, <laughs> my like costume design class. Like I, I don't know. I I like to be, I like to have to understand it all and how it works, but I also like to watch other people who are incredible at their work as well. Yeah, it, it kind of sounds like you experienced the whole thing as a whole new world with with uh, like being in a toy store and and you could go with this toy and this toy and, mm -hmm. you know, you sort of, that's what college is for, right? Is honing the thing that you're really interested in. Yeah. But I really want to ask you about improv. I don't know if you did improv um, when you were in theater school. It mm -hmm. was a core component of what what we had to do our, our first, our first year acting class was all improv. Did you guys go to Northwestern no Where'd we went go? to DePaul oh okay I auditioned for DePaul and I didn't get in I guess oh but that was for grad school though grad okay school. yeah well I really they're... I really loved what I saw what I saw cooking over there <laughs> okay good well their loss anyway um but my thing so Boz was really good at improv and I really wasn't and I've been thinking recently about what the deal is with that and I, I and I because I think about everything psychologically I know it's psychological and I know I was really in my head worried about saying the wrong thing. And, yeah. you know, I never could really get to the point where I was how people describe they're just kind of channeling something. I never mm. felt that. I always mm. felt nervous and tense and tight. And you have taught improv a lot. And I'm just yeah. wondering, like, when you have a patient, a patient, when you have a student like that, yeah, we are uh, patients, too. It's yeah, right, right. <laughs> when you have a student like that, how do you encourage them to break through? Because our acting teachers were just like, you fucking suck. Sit down. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you a story about Pete Holmes. <laughs> so Pete Holmes, I think he'd be OK with me sharing this. Pete Holmes was in my level 101 intensive and it was like an incredible class with like a lot of people that I actually am still in touch with and who have gone on to do amazing things. Um, Michael Caine, who's got a off-Broadway show called Sorry for Your Loss and this amazing podcast called A Good Cry. And uh, this guy, EJ, who is in all those Wendy's commercials now and is one of the funniest humans I've ever met. Um, yeah. Oh. Jill was in that class. It was just like a great, great class. And so it, we just had so much, I loved teaching and I, I obviously got too close with my students. <laughs> um, but Pete, uh, Pete, you know, is an incredibly funny human and he exists mostly in his head and he is very physically at the time was very physically rigid and, um, is used to like a lot of standups are holding, holding the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like in an improv, you have to let go of control in some ways because it's a scene between you and another person. So you're building something together in the group, you know, the, the, the whole between you and your scene partner or your group uh, is, is greater than the, than the sum of its parts. So you have to let go of the, of I'm, I'm driving this scene. I'm making every choice, that kind of thing. Um, 
And he was gifted with the character of a witch doctor, which uh, is totally out of his wheelhouse. And he was saying so such funny things, but he was standing like just still, just so like still and tight. And um, so I, I don't, I paused the scene and I came in and I was like, okay. Or maybe I gave him a note, like, this is a witch doctor. Like you've got to act, you've got to move your body in a weird way, in a witch doctory way, not a Pete Holmes way, you know, whatever. And, um, and we did it again and he was, he tried, but it was, you know, it was just still so stiff and, and that could have technically become the game of the scene, this witch doctor who's, you know, like a super, yeah, uh, super tight witch doctor. But I, I went in, I paused the seat and I went in and I was like, okay, I'm, I want you to match my physicality. So I'm going to be standing across from you doing these like crazy loopy body movements. And I want you to keep talking and, and active in the scene, but just mirror what I'm doing. And, and he did. And it, uh, I think it was a success for both of us. Like it felt like it like unlocked something. He was able to get to a part of his brain where he wasn't judging himself physically. Cause he was, that was kind of taken care of. Um, and it was really funny. Um, did so, he ever comment? I'm sorry. You can go ahead after a second. But yeah. We talked he ever... about it. Okay. We've all right. About it. Okay. Yeah. And I, um, I, I just have a question about like, what in you, uh, I guess that's what makes for a good teacher, because I'm like, for me, what I hear is that like, sometimes, and I could have used this too, it's like, physicality, like the body, uh, I think yeah. it's a huge part for me of improv. And like, I feel like, at, especially at a time, and I know, I don't know how old Pete Holmes was at the time, but it doesn't matter. But like when we were kids learning improv, I was so ashamed of my body and so disconnected that like, mm. I was, I think that's part of it. But I do think the answer lies, like I know in a room and stuff when I'm auditioning and I can feel myself leaving and not being present, it's like I am disconnected from my body and my breath. So I'm mm -hmm. wondering, Gina, and this goes back to Gina's thing about like, if you had, if we had somehow connected, because we had movement classes up the wazoo, but if we yeah. had connected the movement of the body to the spolen work or whatever improv work, yeah. then there would have been like an unlocking. Because what I hear is that you helped Pete unlock something. And I think that's the key. And the way that people think they're going to unlock something, at least back in 1994, five and six, seven, was by screaming and telling you you're terrible. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. You know, and but he did, he did try, his way of trying was to say, you're uptight, which was, you wouldn't think that was helpful, but it was helpful because I really didn't know that at 17. I really didn't know yeah. I was uptight. Um, but I thought about this a lot, so I'm glad you asked me if I was in that class now, or if I, if I was the teacher, I would say to that kid, it's okay. It doesn't have to be funny. It doesn't have to be the most creative, amazing, clever thing that ever came out of your mouth. You really, if you're doing it without thinking about it, then you're doing it. Don't be so product driven. That was my thing. I couldn't get past, but I would have an idea and I'd say, but that's not funny. And I was just that it all oh, ended yeah. for me there. It's not yeah. funny. And that, and that, well, that was sort of my in, end. The, in the UCB methodology or whatever, you know, at, 
it when you watch it, it feels zippy. It feels like fast. And everybody's like thinking like super fast and coming up with these really funny quips. And for me, the thing that worked was to present a character that felt real in the world. And then it just happened to be funny because you were being specific. Like if you, you know, whatever character you're being, they have, you know, they have accoutrements, they have stuff that they always do rhythms that they always say. And I, I think I was always an observer of those little weirdos in our world. And so when I go to do a character, it's just like, I have a whole encyclopedia of characters in my head somewhere, you know, that I'm accessing that. And so it's almost like, yeah, I mean, I have felt the pressure specifically to be funny. I'm sure when I first started UCB and especially like if we're doing a show, like I did touring company with UCB for years and we would go college to college. And if I was doing a show for the first time, these kids may or may not know what improv is, how it works, what callbacks are, that what a herald is. Some of them, like the school that we went to repeatedly at Haverford College, we like they understood it. And they're, the audience there was different. But when you're doing like a big auditorium at, at like, Ohio state or something like maybe there's 12 kids that know what you're doing. The rest of them are like, just make me laugh. Right. And if you don't like win right away, you're not, you're never funny again. Like, and that's really hard. That's a really hard lesson, but if you're overthinking it, it makes it even worse. I mean, I think this is like, that's such a, a wonderful thing that you just said in terms of like, listen, it is, what really stuck out to me was that you because of the work that you have done to create all these characters by unlocking your body and by going through the process of creating real honest characters then what i'm hearing is in when you move forward on set or on stage you have tools to call upon for yeah. when you are standing in front of Ohio State or wherever mm-hmm. it is and you can sort of call upon all the past work that you've done as a performer and an improver and yeah. you don't it doesn't feel like yeah it's just I'm just hearing that like it's a process I guess I'm in this whole thing where I'm like oh it's a fucking process I didn't understand that so yeah but anyway I love that that you like creating real honest characters and doing that over a period of time is where then when you are on a stage or on a set as a director actor or anything you can call forth stuff that already exists in you rather than in the moment having to fucking re try to invent a wheel in front of people who are judging you whether or not they're going to pay you to get the job or whatever so i think I love that. Are you still, I know that you're, you're doing so many things. Do you still teach or is that over for you? No, I haven't taught in a long time. I I did a workshop probably when I first moved out here, like a character workshop, but I haven't, I just don't, my schedule is so bananas. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for improv, I didn't, I came to it late. I, I did a comedy. I did one comedy sports competition in high school and we won. And I remember that feeling. Uh, yeah, I had, I did a scene. I did an inappropriate scene now, uh, <laughs> two person scene. And then um, we did like a freeze, like a super freeze where like every, you know, someone's tagging and coming in and come. And I had like, like the button on the final frame and it just like killed. And I was like, ah, you know, just yeah. like, oh my God. 
feeling, you know. Right. Um, There's no feeling like it. But Not then that I, I would went know. To, to to at Evansville, there wasn't I think we did one class where we sort of did improv exercises, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like comedy improv. It would have been, you know, space yeah, objects just, and yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then when I auditioned for grad schools, I think we did some improv kind of things. Like when I auditioned for Juilliard, there was definitely some like improv Juilliard. Stuff. I just have, so I have a bunch of friends that are not friends, but like youngsters from Chicago um, um, that had just done the Erdas and all the things. Yeah, yeah. And the Juilliard one is still the same. Like yeah. it is still the same. I mean, I didn't even get, I don't think I even dared to audition for Juilliard, but yeah. um, there was like one person from Evanston that got called back to yeah. Juilliard and that was like a huge thing, but it's yeah. the same. But anyway, so you auditioned for, for grad school. I did. Yeah. I auditioned for a ton of grad, you know, I did Erdas, I did, uh, and then I did the summer like you know all in one kind of thing we we went to chicago that was our closest big city and it was the palmer house and it was like room to room yes you know and then uh it was terrifying and where i wanted to i wanted like yale or nyu it's where most of my friends and and like people before me had gone people that i like really looked up to went to yale and and nyu and uh art and you you know that kind of thing um ACT. Uh, I got into not those though. I got like, um, I got offered to go to, uh, like Missoula, Montana. These were like rep repertory programs, I guess. And there was one in Detroit, which actually is where Keegan Michael key went, which was Wayne state. Um, and there was one other, and I just, at the same time I was applying, I had applied like on a whim really to do teach for America. And, yeah. and they really wanted me <laughs> and, it, and I, and the closer I got every round that I made it through, I realized that I really wanted that as well. So I ended up leaving undergrad and doing two years of teaching high school French in Greenville, Mississippi, which is the heart of the like Delta, the, the home of the blues the catfish capital of the world, like, um, two hours from any major city. And, uh, and it was, it was perfect. It was hard. Exactly... It was hard. Right. My husband did teach for America. He did. He, he ended he? up, he was in, um, East Palo Alto with, oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. dual language, like a, not an immersion program, an ESL, an ESL oh, yeah, population. Yeah. He had 38 kids in a trailer with no air conditioning and no books. They simply said, no, we do Sorry. not have books. Yeah. And it was that kind of a situation. What was yours like? I was in a double wide trailer. I shared with the health teacher who chain smoked and I would have to like stop up. She was amazing. She was really a piece of fucking work. I mean, talk about characters. <laughs> I tried to do her as a character and I was like, nobody will believe this is real. Um, yeah. And I basically, uh, they were, they were doing like blocks. It was like a time when we were doing like an hour and a half block of class. So the kids would come to me for an hour and a half and I would have three of those. And yeah, like 25, 30 something kids. I'm teaching them French. They're in like, they're registered for French too. They've, they don't speak any French. Like they, 
the teacher prior to me, I think was more like a ditto kind of teacher. So you fill out the the worksheet and then you, with whatever time was left over, oh, yeah. they, were, they could play spades. Oh, sure. Oh, well, spades is a good skill to have, but yeah. it's not French unless you're right. playing spades in French. So I just kind of, I, I just, I was like, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll do our best to learn about French, but really what I'd love to do is open up the world to these kids, like let them see that there is more than Greenville, Mississippi and the nearest mall, like uh, that French is spoken all over the world, which, you know, that language is, is good for that because they speak it in Africa. They speak it in Europe. They speak it in uh, Southern Louisiana, you know? Um, and I ended up taking them to like uh, a conference uh, called the in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is called the Louisiana, which all these French speaking bands come and Zydeco. And it was just like the best. Um, and I ended up while I was there. So the first, I guess the first couple of months I was really kind of drowning as like first year teachers do. And yeah. I was like, I got to figure out how I'm going to survive this because if my day in day out is it's going to be, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to make it out alive. Did you, know? you do what um, my friend who did, uh, who's first, I, I saw them all going through first. Did you cry at the end of every day? They would call me crying and say, I don't think I can do that. And I'd be like, it's going to be, it's, this is the first year. Every single one, the first year was even, and I, and they yeah. weren't even in teach for America in a trailer yeah. and they cried every day. Or how did you, were, you just coped? Uh, yeah. I mean, I started smoking. <laughs> I, um, I found like, we, you know, we had a group of T of TFA teachers that were there. Um, my roommate was, was a, it was an elementary teacher, um, in a, in a school nearby. And, uh, I started doing karaoke at every Friday night religiously at the How Joy restaurant and lounge. Um, and then I, with a friend went to see a production, uh, at the Delta center stage, which is like this community theater. And I w really wasn't expecting much. And they did greater tuna oh, and yeah. it was two so men, funny. you know, um, playing every character in drag and stuff. And, uh, honestly it was, um, it was, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And the, the gentleman who was in it, I ended up dating. And then I started doing, uh, auditioning for, for, for stuff at the Delta center stage. And, um, there were some incredible like theater artists there and, uh, you know, folks that had been there for a while. And I really made a connection and it became a lifeline for me because I would do this work, but then I also had this other thing that was keeping me, you know, that was serving yeah. just me, you know, and we did mm -hmm. Narnia and we did the apple tree and, uh, we did, um, I did an original play uh, that went to the Southeastern Theater Conference, you know, competition. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really great. Also, I'm just picturing you because you said you started, this sounds amazing in so many ways and hard as hell, but, <laughs> but amazing in those hard as hell ways. I'm picturing you and the health teachers because you took up smoking. Like I'm already writing this pilot in my head. You are guys are smoking in the double wide. You're the young <laughs> I ones. don't, I never smoked at school. 
No, no, no. <laughs> I know you didn't. This is got never. She never spoke to school. Yes. But I'm just these two characters, like the young one and the and the more seasoned one, and yes. just in the in the double wide in there in the heart of the Delta, yeah. teaching kids French and health. I mean, that is a that is an. This amazing- is an Abbott Elementary spinoff that you should definitely write. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about it. You know, I've thought about what the screenplay would be because I've it was such a transformational time for me, but I, but then I'm like, I don't know. That's a pretty, it's hard. It's, it's a, it's a tough story to tell. All my kids were, uh, were black except for the two exchange students, strangely from Czechoslovakia. Oh my God. Now they have um, a story to tell. Can you imagine? And it, it was like, it was a pretty, it was almost entirely segregated. The city, um, the public schools were all, uh, all black and then the private schools were and christian schools yeah were all mostly mostly yeah. white um, yeah you don't want to tell that like hillary swank movie whatever that was where she came in and taught in poetry and like changed all their lives yeah stand and deliver yeah i mean swank. stand and deliver right yeah it, yeah or dangerous minds or something that's like, what I, i'm talking I, about that's the one yeah, i michelle pfeiffer i feel like uh yeah, I would have to figure out how to tell that story in a way that it's not about me, whatever coming in and because that is not what ha- that's not what happened at all. Wait, but Lennon, honestly, that is such a good idea because nobody has approached that trope since we figured out it was a terrible trope. Yeah, I think there's a really nice in for you to write something that's funny. I don't know necessarily like a send up of those movies, but that's yeah more truthful just more truthful I, I mean since it was an actually an experience that you have I I wanted to ask you I mean in in ev- you're funny in absolutely everything you do you're <laughs> never not funny I I, I I I cry watching you and veep it's oh. it is just fucking funniest thing I've ever seen Thank but you. part of what makes you so funny is you're just you seem so comfortable Oh, is good. that true? And is that, or, or inside, are you a roiling mess or do you really feel comfortable? Um, it can be both. Like, I mean, in Veep, uh, for instance, when I, first of all, the, when I got that part, I, um, it was like a dream come true. Uh, you know, that show is like the comedy Olympics. The audition itself was a callback with Julia and, uh, Chris Addison and, you know, Allison Jones casting. And it was just like, the room was so generous and I improvised and it was like the best audition I've ever had. And, and I was like, God, if I don't get this, like I will at least have had that, you know, because it was so, it was just so, it was just such a, a nourishing experience. And I just felt so successful. Um, so then to go get to do it was like icing on the cake. And when I got there, I was terrified. I had a one and a half year old. I had my nanny with me because my husband was traveling. She had never been on a plane. Uh, we were in Baltimore in the middle of winter, staying at a, yeah, some sort of, <laughs> you know, uh, Homewood suite situation. Um, I was, again, like, it was like stepping in, you know, when you, when you get onto the, the moving walkway and, and some people are already like walking on it and they're double timing you, you know, that's what it feels like when you get on, you have to start running, you know, and it, it's like, Oh God, I hope I don't fall. Um, 
because they're already playing at such like a high level. And I remember, I think Armando Iannucci, whose show it was, could see that. And he knew what I had done in the audition. So I think he was like, he came over and just like, was like, don't, you know, just go for it. Like, don't, don't hold back. You know, I know what's scripted, but like, just, just start repeating everything she says, you know, just like, put, put a coda on everything she says. And I, and so I started to do that and pretty quickly, you know, yeah, it, it got, I got into a groove and then it's and, also, it was so fun to be the one that they all hated. Yes. <laughs> it was so fun to be there and just say things that I knew that they would be able to be like, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. And I think um, that that is what I'm hearing is that you are able to, and you can see it on screen that you are able to do things simultaneously or sinistaneously as my coworker <laughs> would say, which is sinistaneously, you're able to stay grounded and breathing because you didn't fuck that call back up royally clearly you went yeah. for it you're able to take in feedback he came over and said hey like you didn't just put up a wall and say no i'm going to just repeat what i did right so yeah. you're seasoned enough that you're working enough you can play at a high level without getting so nervous that you sabotage or whatever that is you yeah. really were able to go for it you did things i think what I would say to young folks is based on what you're saying is like, or people just starting out or more green. Yeah. It's like, you got to be able to do things si simultaneously in this career. And yeah, it's hard, but you had put in the work to get there and you had a really, it sounds like you had a really great callback that was, which is the name of our company, like completely undeniable, like yeah. whether or not you got the job, yeah. like, okay, but you were undeniable in the room. And yeah. that is, I think a better goal to go for, for me anyway, than being good or be getting the job, right? Like, yeah. were you, when you got the call, what did you do? Cause I, we talked to people and, and like Tramel was telling us what he did when he got, um, uh, what you call it, severance. What did you do when you got the call? For, for Veep, I probably screamed. I usually scream or yell or, or like, it depends on who's around me. If I can, you know, like when I take the call. I think also too, when I see the agent number like coming up, I'm like, well, this isn't a no, you know? Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, when I see point. the number two, I yeah. do this. You got, you should know you, if you ever see me on a phone call doing, and it's, you know, like a, a Walmart commercial, but still it's good for me. I, I get, and I go, I don't know yeah. what that is. <laughs> it's real dorky. It's like the dorkiest yes. thing. I do like I'm that. Sure I do that. I've done, I've definitely done that. I will say though, like the flexibility, I don't know if I had that when I started, that definitely has come with doing it a while. And also being mm -hmm. like, I guess you got to get out of your own way because when you show up, all you want to do is be the best version, right? But usually they're casting you because you solved their problem in the room. So once you get there, you just need to do that again. And then if they don't like it or need something else, they will tell you it moves so fast. But like, if you come and you're like, I thought about a lot of this stuff and I'm so excited to show you all the other things that I want to do. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> like, you know, we'll let you know if we need that. But like, 
we, we saw what you did. We liked it. We want that, you know, we need, we need, we need you to just deliver what you've already shown us that you can deliver. Right. That's why you got this job in the first place. Yeah. It's like, right. it's like that whole thing of you. I, the other thing when you were talking, um, was like that thing of like, you are enough. Like you did enough the first yeah. time, like yeah. you don't need to get, and I, I, that has been my thing is like learning that, like what you just said, which really hit it home just now, which is like, if you're in the callback situation, what mm -hmm. you did worked fine, just fine. It's yeah. enough. Yeah. Let's see how it is today. If you do what you did then, but with being present and stuff, like yeah. it's enough and going in that way and knowing if they want to see more or different, believe you me, they will let you know is a great yeah. way to go into a callback. I think to the, you know, when I get like, if I got an audition and I was like, why am I even going out for this? Like, this is not, this character is not like me, this, you know, it, uh, I always like, I, now I know this, I didn't always know this, but I also having been in, in, on the EP side of things and casting things and seeing like, like we would watch in playing house, we would have to cast the next episode that was shooting the next week, three small parts. We would watch 10 auditions in between takes on an iPhone. And it would be literally a yes, no, before the audition was even over. And that had sure. nothing to do with whether somebody flubbed a line, whether they centered themselves in the frame, right? Like sure. it was literally just is this kind of the thing that I was thinking in my head? Do they make me laugh? Like the reason our friend Greg Hess got the part of string bean in the marching band drumline in that episode is because he put himself on tape when he was at home in somewhere for Christmas. And he just went outside and filmed himself jumping into a hot tub. He had one line and it was screaming as he jumped into the pool. And so he just did it in a hot tub and I was like I want this guy on my set like he's fun right okay so that's hilarious because honestly my son is an actor and when we were when I was first doing self-tapes for him I was directing them like movies like we were outside we were trying to be in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the spaces they were they were these epic things and his agent was like no just like standing in, yeah. in front of a wall so that's surprising that you I well, mean, I mean was that was just for that one you know I yeah. I mean uh, auditioning is so hard and it, and it really has nothing. It it really has little to do with, <laughs> um, it does, it, it's your, you know, like, I mean, you, it, it's so much to do with like what you look like, what your type is. And that's like, you cannot change that. So when I, when I audition now, even if I'm like, this is an insane part, I'm like, okay, well, this is, this would be the Lennon version of this. This is how right. I would do it if I got this job. And even though these things don't check off or whatever, if they ended up casting me, this is what it would be. And if they don't want that, like that's not on me, you know, oh, it's just, it's just sort of it's, going to yeah. the grocery store 
and the recipe calls for tomatoes and you're like yeah but i also want to know if we could maybe do the version with pimentos or whatever and you're a pimento yeah. and then it's it's so hard i think when you're you're a pimento i'm a pimento too but <laughs> okay if, if, but whatever but if but it, it's so hard to tell young folks go, you know going back to when we were in school it's like it's so hard to say like look be the best motherfucking pimento that you can be be mm -hmm. go for that thing and really mm -hmm. learn and be open and then at least you know like you in veep at the callback that you fucking rocked it no matter what they may have chosen someone else they didn't in this case that role was yours yeah. it was meant for yeah. you it's yours but that it's so hard when you're young or even when you're older like yeah, whatever to really understand that this thing that you love that's inside of us that needs to come out sometimes most of the time won't be picked and it has nothing to do with you know how yeah. it's just it's just so hard to get that through to students head and so I think theater conservatories and I want to hear what you two have to say like conservatories are sort of hard because you're telling people at such a young age that you know it's not about you, but it is about you. It's not about you, but it is about you. And so it's hard to know what the F it is about until you have this time under your belt like you do and we do. Yeah. Um, so that's why conservatory is so hard and wonderful and amazing, but also for people with self-esteem issues, which we all have to lesser degree, it can be really, really, really tricky. And a lot of our listeners are like, yeah, or and our guests are like, I didn't have the the whatever inside of me to know that if they didn't pick me it wasn't because i was awful fat ugly fill out the adjective sure, you know sure. yeah That's i don't shame. think i knew that in theater school either i somehow though i did know that i i would one day i would find my way like i remember in high school feeling like i will find my people i don't know where i don't know how but i know something um sorry i saw that twice this weekend um and then in college i think it was you know i mean i i was all in on like dramatic theater and you know ready to go and do shakespeare and you know all of that i mean my life ended up going in a different direction um and that, that has been the right thing so far. Uh, but I mean, for instance, when I got to UCB, because I had the training of a really solid theater school, I feel like I was, you know, I was set up for success in a way because I, I mean, I looked at the, I was like, it can't just be about, you know, game or whatever, you know, like, so I'm also, I'm meeting, I'm meeting what they're teaching me with what I've already learned about myself, about what I think is funny, about uh, what I do well, and kind of like marrying the two, you know, um, because I didn't do, I, I mean, like I said, I didn't do hardly do improv in, in college. Um, it was like a lot of intensive, like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, Evansville wasn't kind of like one of those, like, we're going to break you down to nothing and then build you back up schools. Um, at least for me, it, may, it might've been that way for others. The thing about Evansville that was so striking was the community for me, like the class, my class, and honestly, the couple classes ahead of me and behind me, um, we are all 
so supportive of each other. And like Jack McBrayer went to college with me mm -hmm. uh, and he was a couple years ahead of me. He's the one who said, I think you would be good at this after an improv show. Um, and he was instrumental in helping me start doing shows at UCB. Um, and also he helped me when my manager wanted me to sign a three-year contract. And he was like, Lennon, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's just tons of like Mary Catherine Garrison, yeah. who's in somebody somewhere that I directed last summer. She was like the it girl when I got to Evansville, like there's just, there's, and I've got like so many friends from my year that I still keep in touch with and are like family. And then there's, there's folks that came after me also that, and everybody is their own special breed of, of cool and something and bringing something to the table. But, um, we all are very different, you know, you're muted Gina, but I love you. Love you so much. Sorry. Um, usually when we ask people how they made the move from primarily acting to also directing, writing, producing, they say, because I just wanted to make my own content. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily true for everybody. It, well, how did you branch out into those things? The first thing that I, well, I, I, I hated writing. Um, I kind of still do. Um, but I, I'm good at it. I knew that like, uh, but it, it just, I think the, I don't know if it's like the way I write, it's like laborious. I, you know, I'm, um, I want it to be great, you know? And so I, we, you know, I, I pour over it over and over again, but, um, yeah, I, I, the first thing I wrote was like uh, of comedy or theater or whatever I wrote, uh, I wrote a little bit. I did, I took a screenplay class in college when I studied abroad, they had like a study abroad program, um, in England. And, um, I took a, an amazing screenwriting class and then, and we studied screenplays and how they break down and stuff like that. But the first thing I wrote for was for myself. It was what my one woman show. And it was directed by Jason Manzukis. And it was, it came honestly out of, I was doing career coaching with this, with this awesome woman named Betsy Capes at Capes coaching. And um, she was kind of a new up and coming. And I had met her through Dan Fogler, who um, I had, I did, you know, the Putnam County Spelling Bee uh, on Broadway. Yeah. So the, the, in the, the original, like uh, what impetus for that was, a, was a play an off Broadway play called Crepuscule, <laughs> which is a hard word to spell. And it was about a spelling bee. And I was in that with Dan Fogler and Rebecca Feldman and Liz Feldman, who uh, created Dead to Me and um, a bunch of other amazing people, some of who went on to be in the Broadway show as well. And anyway, that's how I know Dan. So Dan uh, introduced me to his sister-in-law, Betsy, who's starting this. Anyway, long story short, I have these goals that I've set up for myself about what I want. And one of the things was I wanted to be on SNL. And so in order to do that, I needed to start putting characters out into the world. And that was terrifying to me to say to the world, like, look at what I do. What, here's what I think is funny. Um, and just like 30 minutes of me, like what? So I wrote that Jason Manzukas directed it and he helped me a ton. And um, I ran that 
uh, I put that up on its feet and I ran it in New York for about a year before I came to LA and I did it here. And when I got my manager, she remarked on how well written it was. And, um, and then I, when Jessica and I started to talk, cause she, she was, I think, looking for a woman to write with, and we knew each other from UCB in New, New York, but we were kind of falling in friend love here in LA. Um, my man, I was like, well, I'm not a writer. And my manager was like, yes, you are. You're, you're a writer. You wrote this incredible thing. And I was like, well, that was just like that one thing that I was doing. She was like, Lennon, you're a writer. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. So Jess and I, you know, it was, just, it wasn't just, I want to do my own content. It was like all the stuff we we're auditioning for is like, so I, I don't formulaic. It was like the yeah. bitch, the overbearing, you know, friend, the, the weirdo, the slut. And I'm like, neither one of us are only that, you know, are only one thing. And I think we were really interested in telling the story of two full complete women um, who happened to be in friendship. And we wrote a pilot for HBO. That was the first thing that we did while we were both on other people's sitcoms. Mm -hmm. And then um, that got passed on and my show got canceled within 24 hours after I'd already given notice that we were moving to LA and my husband had given up his like high school principal job in Brooklyn. Why not? Um, but then we got the blind script deal for what became Best Friends Forever, which was our short-lived NBC sitcom. Short but sweet. I mean, yeah. like uh, really high quality, really good. Thanks. And then, uh, and then that you know kind of led into Playing House. So it's. Um, it's amazing. And it's also, it's inspiring to know that like, I think for me, hearing you is like saying, okay, do the things like when you were talking to um, Dan's sister, right? Um, The coach and you wanted, you start out with goals. Okay. So like the goal is to be on SNL at that time. Okay. So like, it's really hard to get an audition and all that shit for SNL, but like, it's, it's like manageable. What it sounds like she had you do was like in, if you believe in woo woo shit, it's like our, the universe doesn't know the difference between you auditioning for SNL and you putting your characters out into the world. It's not interested in Lauren Michaels, you know, it just wants you to do the thing you want to do. So I feel like a lot of times people, actors, performers, writers, we don't take the step of putting the thing out in the world unless it is in the form that we think it should be in, which is mm. on Saturday Night Live. So by yeah. you going to, you know, um, Citizens Brigade and do and and all the things and putting your characters out into the world, yeah, you, you it didn't wasn't like an immediate SNL situation, but look at it, it, it still works. I think that's the thing that yeah. I would want to tell people. Like the the formula still works if you put out into the world what you want, what is the goal, and how can you go closer to it. Do that. It's better and just work and just keep working. Yeah, I mean, I I think I felt a tangible shift. Uh once I was going somewhere uh, and I didn't know where, you know, I had in mind an end goal of where I thought I was going or what I wanted. 
I didn't, I didn't even know for myself what was right though, you know? So I'm like the same thing with, with grad school. Like I was like, I want to go to NYU or Yale. So I'm putting myself out there in, in this way for this. Um, but like, once you're on a train going somewhere, wherever the fuck it is, and you're excited to be on that train, yeah, like discovering, building characters, doing a show, doing Keep another going. fun show, Keep going, stay yeah. on the train, then people want to be on that train, right? Nobody yeah. is going to like reach right. into your apartment where Dude, you are by yourself I, I, and, and pull you out. It's you know? so true. Like, it's so true. Oh. This is very similar to the conversation about improv because it's the same principle. If yeah. you're not being self-conscious and not being necessarily very product oriented and just inhabiting the thing that you're yeah. making, it's inevitably going to be more attractive than exactly. anything you're really sweating over. And yeah. I mean, and nobody's going to pull you off the back line, like to come out right. to do a scene. You have to no. come forward and say, I think my ideas are valid and important and funny and trust that, you know, and also too, if I always said to my students, like, if you're not having a good time, like change it, it's improv, like edit it, yeah, turn, right. transform into a Panther, like whatever is going to make it fun for you. Because if you're not having fun, Lord knows the audience isn't right. And, and, and I nobody think wants to watch an audition where you're dreading doing it. Oh like, my God. It must if, be fucking torture. I've seen yeah. it as it's like helping. And I know I've been the actor and I think just to sort of put a put a point on it is that like that's like you're saying improv is the same as life like switch it up nobody fucking cares if you yeah. need to pivot in your life if you are doing it be yeah. in, a, in a way that is true to yourself pivot become a panther just in, in real life yeah. shape shift do do your thing <laughs> yes. also i know i'm mindful of time so but i just want to say also and maybe i'm just wrong at this but does um Francis Conroy know that you need to play her daughter in a new movie? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I really like Francis Conroy. Dude, I, you guys yeah, remind me of each other in so many ways. And yeah, when I, I watch you work, I'm like, oh my gosh. Or sister, somehow I'm putting it yeah. out there because I think both of you are just amazing. And I think yeah, she's you, incredible. Can you imagine both of you on one screen? That would be good. That would be good. Be I have to give a little shameless plug be, that's for you and for me because my son is in a movie with with you what? um what yes yeah holland michigan um which will be coming out in the fall i'm the person who dm you, you saying you're in the hallway i yes. it's all coming yes. back together yes isaac right yes isaac yeah Aww. so that was a really good experience talk about female directors mimi cave is amazing yeah i loved every second of working with her uh, or Incredible. watching isaac <laughs> work with her she, yeah. she was really really cool she she created such a nice environment Mm -hmm. on set and mm -hmm. um also and i wanted to meet you because you know i said you're in the bitch sesh universe i know you're not like a <laughs> real housewives person but you're friends with casey and danielle and that's yes. like you know i love that whole of i love that course. whole universe so what tell them i say hello it is it's just truly incredible yeah seriously seriously If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Ink, 
please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.